0: In the early stage of overlending, it feels good. So you get this euphoria that just leads to accelerating what you're doing. So if if growing loans this much brings this much good news, let's just do more. And then you get to that tipping point.
1: I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, are you in debt? Well, you may not know it, but you are. In Canada, uh, it's been estimated that the public debt equates to about $60,000 for every man, woman, and child, even people who are unborn. But what isn't talked about enough in the United States and Canada is the threat that's posed by private debt. So today we have on the show, someone who is an expert in this, who has was a, a longtime high-level banker and economist and author, his name is Richard Vig. He's written several books on this topic. So hopefully we're gonna learn a lot about debt today, and uh, some solutions to it, but also uh, some of the dangers and uh, things that we can do, things within our control that we can perhaps change to decrease the threat of, uh, of incurring excessive private debt. Welcome to the show today, Richard. It's great to have you on.
0: It's such a privilege to be here. Thank you.
1: All right. So uh, just a little bit about uh, Richard. Um, he is the author of The Paradox of Debt and some other books that we're going to talk about. Uh, in that book, he presents a, a new view of macroeconomics. Uh, it was just released this past July. He's also the author of The Case for a, De- a Debt Jubilee, which sounds awfully good. Uh, that's a policy exploration of debt relief. Uh, and he also has done an illustrated business history of the United States uh, and uh, a brief history of doom, which is uh, an interesting book that I just read. Uh, which is a, a chronicle of the world's major financial crisis and is a very, very fascinating history, a different take on history uh, that helped me to understand some of the other trends, political trends and things like that uh, through the lens of economics. So before we dive into a discussion of his books and and some interesting topics, as we always do, we're going to look at some framing aphorisms uh, because we have somebody who is uh, an expert in economics. Uh, these uh, <laughs> These are from... Some noteworthy economists, I know that Richard will be well familiar with these gentlemen. Uh, one is the the late Milton Friedman, former Nobel Prize winning economist, uh, who once wrote that nobody spends uh, somebody else's money as as wisely as he spends his own. Um, next, a Thomas Sowell, who in my opinion is one of the world's greatest living intellectuals, public intellectuals, who wrote, it is hard to imagine a more stupid or more dangerous way of making decisions then by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. Uh, another one going a little bit deeper into the archives uh, is from uh, George Washington, the first president of the United States, who in his farewell address in 1796 said, cultivate peace and harmony with all. That's from Richard's own website. And finally, a quotation from our guest today, uh, who wrote, those who champion the trickle-down theory of economics are correct, except for one detail, It is debt that has been trickling down and not wealth. So Richard, thanks again for being on the program. Uh, Why don't we start with talking about this concept of private debt? Because uh, as I mentioned off the top of the show, and both in Canada and the United States and elsewhere in the world, we always hear about public debt, rising public debt, is particularly in the aftermath of COVID, which you wrote about in one of your books. Uh, But this concept of private debt and the threat that it poses uh, is not talked about enough. Do you want to explain that what that threat is and, and why it's not talked about enough?
0: Well, you're exactly right. There's more private debt in the world than there is public debt. In the United States, it's about $40 trillion worth of private debt. That's household debt and business debt versus about $31, $32 trillion in government debt. And if you look at it globally, There's about 150 trillion in private sector debt, as compared to about 90 trillion. Wow, that's a lot of
1: lot of zeros,
0: a lot of zeros, but much bigger zeros on private debt. And as we saw in 2008, it was private sector debt that brought our troubles. Yeah. In 2002, in the U.S.,
1: mortgages
0: were at five trillion. By 2007, they were at 10 trillion and that was millions of mortgages made to folks that didn't have income, jobs, assets sufficient to support those mortgages. So it's really private sector debt that has gotten us into trouble in the major financial crises in history. That's the area we should be studying the hardest.
1: Right. And you know, you mentioned in, uh, in, in one of your books, I believe it's the, uh, the next economic disaster that you were actually working in the banking industry back in those days in the private banking industry. And you were so horrified by this. That was one of the reasons why you, why you left you. And, uh, you you also accurately predicted the explosion of debt that occurred subsequent to that. Um, but you also, in another one of your books, you talk about a brief history of doom. Uh, And that in there, you talk about really the historical uh, thread that runs through many different financial and political collapses in history over the past 200 years, and they're all linked to private debt. you want to talk about that book a little bit? Because it sort of sets up your most recent book that you just published.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we made the contention that private debt had brought the global financial crises, and we kept getting pushback. And, you know, it seemed clear to us. So we said, what the heck? Let's look at the whole story. And we got the consensus. 43 biggest financial crises in world history over the last 200 years in the top six countries in the world. And we looked at each and every one of them reconstructing the private sector debt. This would be Austria in 1873. This is London in 1825. This is the Great Depression that began with the collapse in 1929. We looked at every single one of them, and without fail and without exception, it was runaway, irresponsible private sector lending that brought way too many houses or office buildings or railroads and the economy collapsed with that overcapacity in banks that made those loans fail. So we really, we really cemented our thesis by looking exhaustively at all the crises in world history.
1: One of the things you discovered that to me was very counterintuitive is, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom that's talked about in the and by politicians about, you know, rising public debt. But when you went in and you did your deep analysis of the arithmetic, you actually found that oftentimes increasing public debt actually benefits households. Could you explain how that occurs?
0: Well, you're exactly right. And this is something we dive into very deeply in the new book. But when government spends money, it doesn't disappear. It ends up in the checking accounts of households. So in the three years of the pandemic, 20 through 22, when we had all in the US, we had all those $1,400 check and $1,200 check rescue relief packages out of Congress. The government's debt increased by $8 trillion. But private sector wealth increased by $30 trillion. The $8 trillion the government spent ends up in the checking accounts of households and the flood of money that came into the economy pushed real estate and stock values up by another 20 trillion. Mm. So it's a fairly profound concept and it wasn't just the pandemic. That's been true throughout history. And let me just give you one more number here. In 1980 in the US, government debt plus private debt was 125% of GDP. Today, it's 260% of GDP. Incredible. Private sector net worth in 1980 was 350% of GDP. Today, it's 600% of GDP. Debt creates wealth. And that's something people don't think about. It can right. get you in trouble. But in aggregate, it brings wealth. It creates wealth.
1: The, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, and this goes back to uh, your previous book, The Next Economic Disaster. Um, how was it that you were able to predict what was coming? I mean, leaving COVID aside, it wasn't the, the economic collapse that we suffered, that we suffered over the past few years. Uh, if we can call it that recession or depression or whatever people call it, economic slowdown, it happened. And in your book, which was written about eight or nine years ago, you predicted it was going to happen. Were you able to predict that based upon the research that you've done, talking about, you know, the the work that you did on the brief history of doom? How how were you able to tell that this was coming?
0: Well, we saw the pattern repeat itself over and over again. And one of the most satisfying moments that I had in all of this, this would have been 2014. And I was invited down to D.C. to debate a bunch of experts on China. And they were all in the camp that China was a juggernaut that could not be stopped, right. it was gonna overtake the United States. China was different, this time it's different. So it was four or five of those folks and me. And you know, especially back then, I didn't have even a fraction of the credentials of like, those folks did. So I was just making the point and showing the numbers. And you know, we concluded in a very unsatisfying way 3 months later the, the Chinese stock market collapsed by 50%. Right. So, yeah, I've never had a moment that worked out, you know, that much in accordance with my predictions. So, but it's a pattern that's well established.
1: You, you know, this is I'm glad that you brought up this China thing. This is one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about because when I when I researched you and some of the periodicals that you've written, there's one called China's Generation of Demise. Why China's shrinking population both reflects and portends far deeper problems. I think many people uh, throughout, the wor- th- throughout the world, and especially in the West, um, are very concerned about the threat that China poses. But you seem convinced that uh, built within the Chinese culture and economy are the seeds of their own destruction. You want to maybe elaborate on that and why you think that, that China has, a, is, that has this generation of demise? Is it related to, to private debt?
0: Absolutely. China's had the greatest growth in private debt of any country in the history of the world. Wow. I believe, like last most, decade. Of the
1: world. We don't hear about that, do we, Richard? We, we never hear about this.
0: Well, you know, you don't because most of our news is about America. You know, we've, yeah. we I think it's the same four news stories all day, every day. <laughs> but, but if you go a little deeper, if you go to page two, you'll see things like Evergrande, which is, Um, the massive building company in China that failed last year and declared bankruptcy this year. And you'll read about Country Garden. We estimate that in China, the real estate companies have built as many as 100 million empty homes. Really? Homes that have not been sold, are not occupied. Well, if you have that many extra homes, there's no need to build even more. So you you just dig the hole deeper and deeper. And China's private sector debt, ours is not that good at 160%. Mm-hmm. There's over 200%. Wow. And that's coming from nowhere in 1980, as you know. Yeah. So they're piling on private debt and they're in a, a very precarious place right now.
1: Right. Um. The the interesting thing, uh, too, about uh, just talking in this context about private versus public debt, um, you, you write that rising uh, uh, private sector debt leads to rising inequality, and you explain why, but you have some ideas about how to fix it. You want to explain about that a little bit?
0: Well, most wealth in any country boils down to two assets, real estate and stock. So I would say something to 70 to 80% of all the aggregate household wealth in any country is going to be those two things. Now, the top 10% in the United States, at any rate, hold 65% of all the stocks and real estate in the country. The bottom 60%, that's six zero percent, only hold 14%. of the stocks and bonds. So by mathematical definition, if stocks and real estate go up, inequality widens. Right. Because the top guys are holding most of it. Right. And the other thing we try to show in our book is that increased debt drives the price of stocks and real estate up. Mm -hmm. So if debt increases, Inequality widens by definition.
1: Oh, interesting. Does that explain in part um, why we saw such an expansion of that, let's say, that wealth gap uh, during during, and in the aftermath of COVID? We heard about these incredible profits that were earned by many companies uh, during COVID. Is that, is that part of it, this taking on of, of additional debt, actually uh, widens the the income gap? That's
0: exactly it. That is exactly it. And absolutely, inequality widened dramatically in COVID. You know, most folks got no benefit at all. The wealthiest got fairly massive benefits. But, you know, that was accelerated in COVID, but that's really been true throughout history.
1: Right. And and, and in one of your books that we talked about, uh, the brief history of doom, uh, you explain in some detail how uh, this economic gap, this economic gap, um, that that is not limited just to the economic sphere. That has very serious ramifications for social cohesion. Uh, you know b- b- whether or not a country is is at peace or at war. Uh, you know political divisions. Uh, even even things like marriages uh, and families. Cohesion of marriages and families are impacted by this, right? So really, this is uh, this whole public debt thing uh, is sort of a, a, one of the seeds. Of as you as you put it in your book, Doom, right?
0: Well, you know, I I we mentioned this statistic earlier, but I'll say it again. Households in the US, private sector, had debt of 35% of GDP in 1945. Today it's 160%. So the average family is carrying five times more debt than they did two generations ago that creates a lot of stress yeah when i went around the country and talked to folks about student debt as one example i was really surprised that it wasn't just 20 and 30 year olds it was 60 and 70 year olds i talked oh. to one very prominent politician by the way and i said you know i was surprised there's a lot of families where the husband and wife have not finished paying off their student debt and they're having to co-sign for their kids' student debt. And his response to me was, that's the situation I'm in. Oh, wow. It's pervasive.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions that I think people are pondering, I certainly do, is, um, and, and this may seem obvious to you, but why is it that uh, the people who are, let, let's say, uh, providing a private debt as a product... Um, are so keen to have uh, us take on more and more of this private debt, even though it's causing so much obvious harm. Is it just that they're purely, you know, materialistic and motivated by profit? Is is that what it is? But I mean, there seems to be a real uh, incentive, a real goal to have uh, individual people take on this, this private debt. What's behind that in your view?
0: Well, I was a bank president for a long time. So I have, Direct experience there, <laughs> and um, you, you don't you don't think about the macroeconomic picture. If you're a computer salesperson, you're trying to sell more computers. Right. If you're a car salesperson, you're trying to sell more cars. If you're a bank, you're trying to sell more loans. And your end of year bonus, and the earnings of the company, and your stock price all relate to your growth. And I'll tell you, I was deeply in the industry as a bank president for over 30 years. I had no idea about the macroeconomic numbers I'm sharing with you today. You mentioned at the outset of the broadcast that folks generally don't spend enough time studying this. I can promise you within the banking industry, you study your own numbers ad infinitum. You don't study the macroeconomic numbers economic numbers that thoroughly so putting out more loans is like trying to win the championship if you're a coach It's (laughs) it's, it's what you do right
1: right uh well talking about your most recent book that was just released in july it's called the paradox of debt a new path to prosperity without crisis um it has uh some good news hidden in there it tells it tells the the facts uh, but, uh, you know, in part of it says, you know, when we talk about debt and its impact on our economy, we almost always mean government debt. However, this is only a small part of the picture. As you explain individuals, private firms and households owe trillions, and these private debts are vital to understanding the economy. So what is the paradox of, of debt? Uh, that that's one part Maybe you've explained that a little bit so far, but what I'm really interested to know is what is this new path to prosperity without crisis?
0: Well, an economy can't operate without debt. I think you deeper you get into the subject, the more pervasive you see debt being. Mm-hmm. You know, the local store that sells T-shirts and shoes incurs debt just to stock their shelves. If you took debt away from the economy, the economy would collapse. It's that important and it's that pervasive. Furthermore, economies cannot grow without growth in debt. So, you know, if you're a company and you wanna buy and build a new factory, you use debt to do that. If you're an individual and you wanna build a new home, you use debt to do that. So debt is the enabler for all the things we think of as economic progress. But at the very same time that is happening, The seeds are being planted for these problems. If you extend too much debt too quickly, you have the Great Depression or the 08 crisis. Right. individual level, if you take on too debt, your ability to do the things you wanna do, like send your kids to college or put an addition on the house, become out of reach. Right. You have no money. You're using all your money to service debt. You can't take vacations and do other things. So debt is both the, debt's the creator and the destroyer. It does both things at the same time.:
1: Right. So uh, just by way of analogy, it's sort of like drinking, if you drink responsibly, it's something can, that can improve a meal and, and you know be something that's part of conviviality and a social setting. But if you drink too much, you're a drunk, and your life's in chaos. And that same sort of principle would seem to apply to debt. If it's managed and used responsibly, it can be a key to this new path to prosperity. But what you're writing about, what you're concerned about is, you know, maybe this, this private debt situation is out of control in places like the United States.
0: You know, it's, it's like so many things, the middle ground, moderation is the key, right? No, we could have grown you know in the period of 02 to 07 we didn't have to put on 5 trillion more mortgage debt if we'd have put on 1 to 2 trillion more in mortgage debt there would not have been a great financial <laughs> crisis so it's it's moderating and you know you ask about the path to prosperity well one element of that is putting in the radar the early detection mechanisms to be able to see mathematically when loans are growing too fast and to be able to pull back. So one of the keys to prosperity is just to not have a crisis in the first place.
1: (laughs) That doesn't seem to be what uh, governments these days are into. It seems like everything's an emergency these days. Uh, Is that
0: Everything goes to excess.
1: Right. Uh, You know, and when you were describing uh, uh, debt, uh, I was sort of picturing in my mind's eye Michael Douglas and... And, and wall street, you know, when he's playing Gordon Gecko and he says, greed is good. You remember that? (laughs) That seems to be the, that seems to be part of the problem with this private debt. It's very profitable for, for banks and for, and for companies that, uh, that, that provide these products to people. It's obviously very seductive for the consumer because obviously they want to have money, money that they have not yet earned. Uh, but there's a danger there, isn't It, it? It's inherent in that, that, uh. If they don't manage that debt responsibly, take on too much all at once, or if it's the wrong kind of debt, you know, uh, if, if somebody who's living in a, in a single wide trailer goes out
0: and tries to
1: charge up a Ferrari, that's going to be a serious problem, right?
0: Well, that's exactly right. You know, the, you framed it. And the, what compounds that problem is that in the early stage of overlending, it feels good. Right. There's euphoria. You know, in two thousand and two and two thousand and three and two thousand and four, the economy was growing faster, unemployment was improving, incomes were going up, so you get this euphoria that just leads to accelerating what you're doing so if if growing loans this much brings this much good news, let's just do more right and then you get to that tipping point yeah. Um,
1: This is part of the show that uh, we call the reading list. Um, As you can probably imagine, or or you probably guessed, Richard, we've uh, featured your books on the show today. Uh, The most recent one is The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without a Debt Crisis. This is your most recent work. We've also talked about the case for Debt Jubilee, which is the book that you wrote uh, just prior to that, sort of uh, in the aftermath of, of COVID. And then we've also talked about two more, A Brief History of Doom and The Next Economic Disaster. Uh, those aren't all of your books. There, there are others. Are there any that, um, that we haven't mentioned that you, that you think are of note and that are relevant to our discussion?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me and thank you for mentioning my books. I'm really grateful to you. I think the one you didn't mention is The, the Illustrated Business History of the United right. States. That, you know, I think for folks that like history, this is a really, I think, you know, fun, I, I would call it fun. It's <laughs> a book that takes you through, you know, all the many inspiring, innovative things that business can do. So, but anybody reads any of my books, I'm, I'm grateful and beholden to them.
1: Well, Richard, um, this has been a very wide ranging and really interesting discussion. I'm very grateful for your books. Uh, I enjoyed them immensely, and uh, I know that uh, people, other people, our viewers and listeners, will enjoy them too. So I encourage them to to check them out. They're available on on Amazon. This, this has been a real blessing having you with us today. We've learned a great deal. I just want to thank you, Richard, so much for being with us uh, and for you know sharing some of your knowledge about about debt. I think this is going to be very very illuminating for for those uh, those people who are part of our our gray matter community
0: I'm so grateful to you for having me